0: I look forward to sharing with you this morning a message called Love, Hope, and Safety. And we're going to talk about royal family and and what's going on in the foster care system uh, this morning. But before we get too deep into it, I just want to open up in prayer, because I believe God wants to say something to you, and I want your ears to be open to it, and a heart that's willing. So, Lord, right now, we just pray That you would speak to hearts. Anything that's of me, let it burn up. But God, anything that's birthed from your spirit, speak to hearts. May it go deep. May it go deep and change our lives. And God, may it drive us to action. Lord, more than just sitting by, spur us to action this morning, God, as a church. So we ask that you would just be be with us, speak to us. I want everyone to repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. In your precious name. Amen. If you notice there's some tables out there, we're going to talk about some of those tables. Uh, but my wife is manning one of those tables. Uh, she's actually in the back. Uh, She is my uh, assistant director, but she really, if if she wasn't there, camp wouldn't run. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Um, She's the organizational master of things. She keeps things flowing. I'm more of like, let's do this. Oh, it'll happen. It'll be fine. And she's like, no, how does it happen? Here's the things that needs to happen so it can happen. I'm like, it'll be all right. i 'm not the only one in the room, but we need all of them. We need the visionaries and the planners. We need them all. <laughs> they all have their function she 's the planner she is the gift of administration, and uh, l- literally i couldn 't do it without her, and I appreciate her, so make sure she feels loved out there she 'll be answering questions because she probably ask the answers more than I do uh, <laughs> but uh, but we work together and uh I enjoy this part of things, she enjoys that part of things. So it's, it's perfect, it works out great. We don't have too many arguments about it, but sometimes. But uh, So what is Royal Family Kids Camp? It is a week-long camp for the abused and neglected, uh, between 7 and 11 years of age. Uh, many of our kids come out of the foster care system, um, and I, I'm here to bring awareness To you guys this morning. I want you to be aware of what's going on. Um, And I believe it's time for the church to be a solution to the foster care system. It's time for us to be a solution. There's a whole group of people that have been forgotten and virtually unreached. And mainly because we don't have access, but we do now. We have access. We can love on them. Jesus said this in Luke 9 that uh, he brought in a little child and he was talking to his disciples. He, he, he put a little child next to him and he said, anyone who welcomes a child welcomes me and the father who sent him. Now the thing is with that verse, I started thinking about that. The reality is, is he didn't put any disclaimer on what kind of child. He didn't put any disclaimer. He didn't say if anyone welcomes a good child. He didn't say, if anyone welcomes this perfect little angel, this obedient child, if you find one of those, man, let's, let's figure that situation out and multiply that. No, he didn't put no disclaimer on it. He says, a child. That means the abused, the neglected, any child. You welcome them, and he says, you welcome me and the Father who sent me. So you want more of Jesus in your life, you may want to start welcoming some children in your life. Hey, that's my natural step there. I want more Jesus. I want Jesus to be welcomed in my life. Well, he says, welcome a child. Just just telling you what the Word says. James 1, verse 27 says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So often we skip most of that verse and go straight to don't let the world corrupt you. (laughs) We do. We go, holiness, yeah! And yes, holiness. But part of that is taking care of Orphans and widows in their time of distress, that means when they're a mess, in their time of need coming alongside them. I believe this year is going to be a time where orphans find fathers and families get restored. I'm believing that for this year, that we're going to start seeing some of that because we're called to do that. We're called to that as A body, we're called to that as the church. So let me give you a picture of the foster care crisis in the U.S. There is 407,000 children in foster care nationwide. I'm sure that number has gone up. But if you do a quick Google, that's what it tells you. 407,000. And there is 214,421 homes. Now, you may think of that, hey, we're doing pretty good. Two for each home, you got more than enough. Unfortunately, the numbers don't work out that way. There's higher concentrations in different areas. So let's zoom in to more our area in Florida, because you need to know what the crisis is here. Hernando County has 206 children in foster care and 46 foster homes. There's no way 46 homes can take care of 206 kids. Lake County has 395 children in 99 foster homes. And these numbers might have gone up. They might have changed a little bit since this stat came out, but I'm just telling you the info I have. In Marion County, 671 children in foster care and 76 foster homes. Sumter County has 40 children in foster care, but only seven foster homes. So what about Citrus? Citrus County has 255 children, which I got pretty good resources as that number has gone way higher. And there's 29 foster homes. And that I know is for sure. I just talked to Kid Central out there. There's only 29 foster homes in Citrus County. There's no way those kids can be taken care of. Not in our county. So, why do I say this? I say all this to bring awareness. We need to know what we are facing and why a week long camp matters and why getting involved in any way that we can matters. It matters. There's kids that desperately need the church to rise up. So, what does camp offer? Well, you got to see some clips of camp, and there were some fun things that happened there because camp offers these kids just to be a kid for the first time, maybe, in a long time. They get to be kids, they get to have fun, they get to go down bubbles, they get to shoot sharp objects. They just get to be a kid for the first time. They get to go swimming for the first time. That's always fun. There's one little boy at camp getting ready to do the swim test. At the deep end, jumps in, sinks straight to the bottom. And one of our counselors, like they were looking at each other like, I don't know if he's coming up. They gave it a second or two just to, just to make sure. Then finally someone jumped in, lifted him out of the water and said, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. He's like, do you know how to swim? He's like, no, but I really want to learn. Right? It was his first time. By the end of the week, he was swimming. It was his first time. I'll tell you another testimony of a, just from the pool. There was a little girl there that all week long thought she couldn't get in the water. I can't get in the water. There's no way I can swim because she has a disability. By the end of the week, she was all over that pool. She finally got in, had a time of her life. You know what? She's actually taking swimming classes still. She is learning to swim despite her disability. For some girls, it was the first time feeling like a princess, getting dressed up, wearing the banquet gowns. One little girl actually declared, I am a princess. She caught it. These are things they don't get in their house because they're not even in their house. They don't even know these things. And more than that, we offer them Jesus, who I believe is love, hope, and there is a form of safety there. Jesus says, I'll I'll, I'll cover you. The righteous run into the tower, right? And they are saved. There's safety with Jesus. But I believe love and hope brings safety, brings that felt safety. So let's dig into the Word a little bit. We're going to go to Luke 10. We're going to read verses 25 through 37. This is a story that most of us are familiar with, the Good Samaritan. But don't shut down. you got to hear what is being said. Sometimes we hear, oh, I've heard that story many times. But you need to hear what's, what's being said. So in verse... 25, it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a reasonable question. And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was like, right. Right. So Jesus told him, write, do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, this religious teacher or this expert in religious law wanted to clarify who exactly his neighbor was because there were certain people in his day that he hated, which we'll find out, it's called a Samaritan. There were certain people that they wanted nothing to do with. Those Gentiles and Samaritans. So he was trying to clarify, to justify some of his actions. Like, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Is it just the guy next door? is it just the people I like? You know, it's a lot easier to love someone you already like. But do you know sinners do that? Sinners will love people they like. I think that's what made Jesus so attractable to sinners because he loved them right where they were at. He was doing something more than what sinners were doing. That was free. I didn't say that for service. I guess that was just for you. Just Take it in. So he was trying to clarify, who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. This man was abused and left half dead. They took everything he owned, they stripped him, left him in humility. He couldn't help himself. This man was minding his own business, just traveling from one town to another. He probably wasn't even making eye contact with anybody, just minding my own business, trying to get to another town. When these bandits chose to live sinfully and attack him. It wasn't this guy's fault. It wasn't like well, he shouldn't have been on that road that time of night. Should have known better. It wasn't his fault. He was just traveling along. Kids that grow up in homes where they're abused and neglected, it is not their fault. It's not their fault that their parents chose to be to live a sinful lifestyle because their sinful choices affected their kids. It's not their fault. I've been doing Royal Family way more than just one year. Uh, when I was pastor in Illinois, our church ran Royal Family, so for six years, I was part of Royal Family. And there was times where I got to tell these kids, don't blame God for your." sinful choices of your parents. Don't blame God for that. Your parents made a choice. And it affected you. Because sin affects others around you. So if we continue on, verse 31 says, By chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or a Levite, another religious leader, walked over and looked at him lying there. He actually investigated a little bit. But he also passed by on the other side. The church has churned its head far too long. We have turned a blind eye way too long. We can't keep passing by the kids that are abused and neglected. We can't. We can't keep looking at the situation and going, well, that's not for me. When I read James and says it is for me. It is for you. We can't keep turning a blind eye. So often we hear about these situations. We may even go, well, I'll support someone overseas getting kids out of human trafficking. That's far enough away for me. We may even see some of these situations and we come up with all these reasons we can't. Well, that's going to be really messy. Man, I might get blood on me. To, heal, to, to help this guy out. It may cost me something to help this person out. So many excuses of why we can't help someone that's been abused and neglected. They may, they may yell at me. They may have all sorts of different things going on. And we come up with all these sorts of reasons why we can't. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't think... Jesus wants to hear all the reasons why we can't. I think God probably gets tired of us when he says, hey, you should do this. And we give him all the reasons why we can't. I think there's probably a holy eye roll that happens when he starts hearing it. When in his word, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His Holy Spirit testifies, no, you can do this. We got to quit turning a blind eye to the situation around us. So let's read on in verse 33. It says, then a despised Samaritan... Came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandit? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The Samaritan had compassion. Compassion just wanted to point out that's unconditional love. The Samaritan chose to have unconditional love to the Jewish man that was beaten and left half dead. He saw this man had a need and took care of him. He rolled up his sleeve and was willing to meet the man right where he was at. He was willing to get a little blood on him, to bandage this man up, put him on his own donkey, and take care of him. 1 John three sixteen through 18 says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Listen. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if you look in the Greek, it actually literally means give up our lives. Like Jesus laid his life down for us, We also are called to lay down our lives for each other. Doesn't that change things a little bit? We digress. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, he asks this rhetorical question, how can God's love be in that person? And the resounding answer that you get throughout the book of John is, it's not. It's not. So he goes on and says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's not just have tongue-in-cheek about this. Let us show the truth by our actions. Just saying I love you to a kid means nothing. Someone that's been abused and neglected, just going I love you doesn't mean anything to them. In fact, when you say that, they may be thinking, well, what pleasures do I have to give to receive that love? That's why even going, Jesus loves you. They're going, what pleasures do I have to give to receive that love? They don't understand what love is. I know, that's a harsh reality, isn't it? See, these kids don't want you to just say I love you. They're looking for the actions. They're looking for the unconditional love. You know the old adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And they will test you on that. They may throw fit. And if you're still standing at the end of that fit going, you done? Let's go play. I still love you. That shows them something. They may cuss at you. They may be able to string a a sentence of vocabulary that you thought could never go together and swear words that they throw at you and you go, all right. You done? I still love you. Let's go play. Right? They're trying to see, what's my limit? When when does the love stop? Because they don't understand unconditional. It's always going to be there. They may run off, but when they look behind, if they still see you standing there, they know, okay, there's something different about this. That consistency, unconditional love. And here's what happens when you start giving unconditional love like that. You will heal wounds by showing them what love, the love of Jesus looks like. Wounds will start to be healed as they come to an understanding of what unconditional love is. Hope. This Samaritan gave this guy hope. This guy... Was laying on the side of the road going, Well, that's it. He thought he was going to die. But when this Samaritan came by and said, I'm going to take care of everything you need, let's get you somewhere safe. I can only imagine this guy was like, "This, This isn't it. There is hope. I do have a future. That's what Jesus offers to every one of us, hope in a future. That's what he offers to these kids. In fact, I got to see a lot of these kids when they came in, they were so, they wouldn't look at you in the eye, but by the end of the first night, they were giving you a hug with a big smile. They're just glad to be there. And the girl that declared, I am a princess, I was talking to her on Friday. And everyone's a mess. We were all crying because we knew it was the last day. But this little girl got to say, I hear you You found out you're a princess. And she's like, yeah. And with hope in her eyes, she looked up at me and says, you know what? This isn't over. There's going to be next year. Because for them, this week is like a light and a bunch of darkness. There's going to be next year, there's hope. I'm going to be a kid at least one week out of this year. There's hope. And I believe unconditional love and and hope really brings in some felt safety. I imagine this guy that thought, well, that's it, I'm going to die. And when this Samaritan came along and showed him some unconditional love, and started taking care of his needs, he finally was like, I bet he felt safe. Like, alright, I'm no longer on the side of the road. I'm actually in a bed now, being taken care of. There's some felt safety there. And these kids felt safe too. How do I know that? Well, because at night... We had kids that would tell us in the morning, this was the first time I slept through the night without bad dreams. I didn't have no nightmares tonight. Or they'd wake up excited, I didn't went to bed. That was victory for these kids. They slept with peace. They felt safe. They felt safe. I think every child should be loved, filled with hope, and safe. And a week of camp offers that. It really does. You may ask, can a week of camp make that big of a difference? And I would tell you, I think a moment makes that big of a difference. Camp is just filled with a bunch of little moments And one of those moments gets a hold of one of those kids and it changes everything for them. It changes their whole course of their life. I think scripturally everything was a bunch of moments. I think of Moses just being a shepherd and then one day he encounters a burning bush and next thing you know he goes from being a shepherd to the leader of Israel leading them out of Egypt. That was a significant moment for him. I think of Saul, who was out to destroy the church, persecuting the church, and on his way down to Damascus to go kill some more Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus, a moment, and next thing you know, he's going, I'm leading this thing. He went from persecuting to one of the greatest missionaries, evangelists, the world has ever seen. So much so, he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament that was a moment. I believe a moment matters and for these kids these moments matter. I think one caring adult given those moments changes everything. I want you to watch a testimony real quick.
1: I tried to kill myself with a bottle of pills and the fact of the matter is I trusted no one and looking back I guess how could I? From the time my parents left me to the time another foster kid raped me, to the time I was bullied so bad, I genuinely could not fathom a world where I could trust anybody. So fast forward, here I am, 14 years old and entering my umpteen foster home. I was a pro, a veteran at this whole sort of getting kicked out of one home, moved to the next. You meet these people who were like, literally complete and total strangers 10 minutes ago who are now apparently your mom and dad. You know, kids, don't take candy from strangers, just move in with them. (laughs) So I'm sitting in the van, in the driveway of this next home, and that's when I see Rodney. He's standing up there on the front porch, and immediately I notice, this is a large fella. (laughs) He's six foot five, he's 350 pounds, and as a 14-year-old boy, I couldn't help but notice, when he's turned to the side like that, He's shaped like a lowercase b. (laughs) It's amusing now, but in the moment it was tactical. Maybe that's how I could get kicked out of this home. Maybe I could get under his skin about his weight. So I move in with him. I'm being obnoxious. I'm being ungrateful. I'm being just downright rude and mean. I'm setting things on fire. And three years later, I can't shake this guy. (laughs) Rodney won't kick me out. So I step up my game. I go to the local bank in town. I open up a checking account. I put about 90 bucks in there. Then I proceed to write $10,000 worth of checks. Obviously checks bouncing one after the next, after the next. One check that bounced was for my car insurance. I'm going down the road, speeding Stillwater, Oklahoma, 88 miles an hour. No car insurance, no driver's license. I get pulled over, handcuffed, thrown in the back of a cop car sent to jail. I call Rodney. like, Rodney, I'm in Stillwater. I'm in jail. I'll tell you the whole thing when you get here. Can you please come bail me out tonight? He said, I will come bail you out, but not till tomorrow. Rodney frustratingly believed sometimes one of the most loving things you could do for a kid was allow them to sit in either the success of their wonderful choice or the stupidity of their foolish choice. Next morning, he comes, bells me out, exactly as promised. We have a long, very awkward car ride home. No one says anything. We get back to the house. He's like, we need to sit down and talk. And I knew this moment had finally come. So Rodney, his wife, sent me down to give me the talk I've had a dozen times. He looks in my eyes and says, son, you can keep causing problems. You can keep trying to mess up. You can keep pushing us away. You can keep trying to get us to kick you out of here, but you've got to get it through your thick head, son. We don't see you as a problem. We see you as an opportunity." And in that moment, all my skepticism came to the surface. And I thought, what a cheesy, stupid thing to say to a 17-year-old kid. But then I was overwhelmed with the reality that this guy actually meant it. He didn't see what I was, what was on the surface. The obnoxious kid, the ungrateful kid, the kid getting suspended. He saw what I could be. It was genuinely my turning point. Statistically, I am supposed to be dead, in jail, or homeless. But because of one caring adult. I'm not a statistic. Every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. My friend and mentor, Reggie Joyner, taught me to think about it this way. In this jar are 936 marbles. Each one of these marbles represents a single week from the birth of a kid until that kid turns 18 years old. So if you know a nine-year-old, You've only got 468 marbles, or weeks, however you want to look at it, remaining. You know a 16-year-old, you got 104 marbles remaining. Right here, we are looking at time. In fact, you're looking at all the time or all of the weeks you have left to influence this kid, this kid, or this kid, before they turn 18 and begin making critical life decisions without your presence. The difference between a statistic and a success story is you.
0: Be the difference. So you need to ask the Holy Spirit, what's my role? What's my role? Because the difference between a statistic and a success story is you. Being a loving, caring adult. There's three ways to get involved with camp. I mean, we're going to talk about it next week, but pray. Pray. Pray for these kids. Pray for volunteers. We would like to see 40 kids at camp. We need enough volunteers to do it. So pray. Pray for us. Volunteer. Get involved. There's so many things right now at our church that there's a way that you can get involved to help be a solution to the foster care crisis. Yes, be a part of camp. Fill in on application. You got questions? The table will be there. We want you to be at camp. It's an awesome mission trip. It's a mission trip. Be a part. But we also got Kids Central out there. They not only talk about how you can be a foster parent, but all these other ways that you can be a part of helping these kids out. There's more than just foster parenting. Go talk to them. We also got the guardian elitum, which actually means the guardian of the case. Ain't that cool? Elitum is a, a Latin term guardian of the case. And what they are is chi- they're children advocates. You come alongside them and help them and be their voice in court. You can also adopt families that way. Coming alongside. How cool would it be if you were a kid's guardian and you got to know the parents, introduced them to Jesus, they got set free and got their life set straightened out so they can get their kids back? There's ways to be the solution to the crisis. That's in our county. You just gotta be willing. And then also give. Camp's expensive. It's about four hundred bucks for a volunteer, about six hundred bucks for a kid. We had I had one guy come up to me and says, Hey, I wanna I wanna give five hundred dollars. I wonder if anyone will match me. If you wanna do that, accept the challenge. Any, any amount will help, and at our table, there's all sorts of ways to give, and you can know about that. Because I understand that everyone can do camp, I get it, but there's ways to help, and we want you to help and be a part of that.